Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by Seeky Kermit with Bobby Skinny with my co-host Justin Pennick. Got a long interview with ESPN's Jordan Renan, over an hour. So I'm going to save you all the all the, uh, all the the intro stuff. We'll announce Patreon on the next episode. In fact, Justin's not even here with me right now. He didn't want to do it with me. Before we get into the interview, episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Live events are back, which means you can get $20 off tickets at SeatGeek with promo code Giants. If you don't know what SeatGeek is, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. We've got the app on our phones. It's literally on my phone. I'd used it for Daytona this past week. It was fun time. Great time. Everyone knew we had fun. Whether it's football, concerts, basketball, baseball, festivals, or more, SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. And if you don't know SeatGeek... The best way to know it is talking about the way they rate their tickets from 0 to 10. Make sure you get a good deal. Green means good, red means bad. Simple as that. It's like a stoplight. You know, no one likes to see a red light. We all like to see the green light. And it's all backed by their buyer guarantee, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And again, we've got the hookup. Use code GIANTS for $20 off uh, tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code GIANTS. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app. And now here's... Jordan Renan of ESPN. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, we now welcome back on to the program of ESPN. Jordan Renan. Jordan, what's going on? We're recording this on a Thursday, putting it out on a Tuesday because uh, you have to go to Mexico, I guess. Maybe I, I don't know if I'm allowed to dox your vacation destiny. Wow. I mean, that, Mexico's a pretty wide place. I mean, I don't think, you know, if you could track down, track me down in Mexico, you, you, you need to look in the mirror, first of all. But, yeah, I think we're yeah, good. you know, go, go you know, he's going to be down in Juarez. Vacations, aren't they supposed to happen after the draft for football people? No, we do, you know, the, this is like a usual dead lull period uh, between after the Super Bowl. This was like a tradition for the family. Uh, we used to go every year the week after the super bowl there's really not that much that happens as i mean as we sit here on this thursday it's been pretty quiet this week right i mean like you're talking like real 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 low end like pickups very few uh the cuts like that that kind of stuff is a few more a week or week or two away right as you get closer to the combine so how much are you like checking up on socials and you know working the phones while you're on vacation, or do you, or do you have like does your wife make you just totally unplug? No, I still sit there. I'm at the pool like this, you know, yeah. on the phone. <laughs> but hey, you know it's amazing. I have a two year old son, and his stock line now is, "Daddy, put your phone down. <laughs> put your phone down." He's a smart kid. He's a smart yeah. kid. Yeah, he's right. He's right. I mean, I mean, I'm sitting there watching him and on the phone. So I have a buddy, Dave Burkett, covers the 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 Lions. He's like, he's the man. He's really good in the Lions beat. Anyway, we used to share stories about how we used to read to our kids, right? And you have the book here. Put my demented finger back away. But you used to read the book here and like have your phone behind it. So like you're looking at text as stuff is going on. As you're reading a book to your kid, like that happens. You guys will get there someday. You're going to be doing that same thing. You'll be like, man, he, I, it sounds ridiculous. Jordan said, I'm going to be doing this. And look at me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm already getting in trouble for it. Where it's like, you know, we're supposed to have like a nice Sunday dinner, at, you know, like a tiki bar. And I'm sitting there like checking, like, all right, you know, let me check my post notifications, see if, you know, we signed Ricky Prohl or not. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> 
listen, I have to do this highlight film of all the preseason catches for for Ricky Prohl. Um, <laughs> but we, we welcome you back onto the show. And we want to get into some stuff. I mean, this is a new GM, new head coach, new coaching staff. There's a lot to talk about and find out about the team. And that's, you know, that's what people want to hear for you, uh, hear yeah. from you. But before that, you took fourth in the Tony Award. Mm. Or they're not sure. If I was going to bring it up. I need to know what do I need, like what do I need to do to get myself at the level of being a Tony, a real serious Tony Award contender. Well, it's going to be tough next year. Now, so not sure if you're a good person, but best Giants reporter presented by Kadarius Tony Award presented by Talking Giants. So Duggan isn't uh he just like your guys' good guy. It really was based off of your guys' good guy award. Like I think the good guy award is. It's just like, you know, one of the funniest things in the world where it's just like, you, because you guys talk to us, he's a good guy. I, just, I don't know. I just, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm into the beat as much as any, as just as the Giants. Um, you so find that things Reddit, funny that most people don't find funny. Yes. Yes. Ba- basically that. Um, so Duggan's not, you know, I, I, I kind of had a feeling Duggan would win. I really think it's, it's between you, Zach and Art. Art's always going to be the fan favorite. So he's always going to get votes, even if they're not first place votes. So I think it's between you and Zach getting like as many first verse first place votes, and really it's about sucking up to us, like you know being being friendly really? with us, sucking up to us. Um, a talking giants versus the world tweet. Um, uh, a me- if if there's a picture of you wearing a media some clown shirt, I mean, those are really big home run swings okay. that you can do to possibly right. get to the and top. That's to basically like you can't piss off the fan base, you know, like a week before voting. Like you could piss them off tomorrow, but make sure they forget about it by then. Yeah, so you got to, you know, when the time comes, that's when I have to do my biggest butt kissing. Yeah, yes. basic, basically, you know, um, you know, just the entire Breaking uh, Big Blue podcast is just like, you know, I was listening to Bobby Skinner and he said this, mm-hmm. and, you know, just. Just really, really kissing on. We we create kind of like the media did for players. We created an award for kissing our ass. So that's uh yeah, that's it seems very self serving. But I like <laughs> yeah. I like the way you guys are thinking here. That's right up my alley. Now, Bobby, can you at least? I mean, I need you to work for me here. I mean, how often do you reach out to me for that inside information that just can't you know? Because I can't report everything I have. Like I could have something. 85%, 90%, but I can't really report that until it's 100%. So I do give you, I mean, you reach out to me and say, what's the deal on this? Mm. What's the deal on that? I mean, you you need to you need to tell the people that I, who, who has the A1 information. This is true. That is true, and that's why GT Bobby Thompson is making a real run at, uh, at the award <laughs> next year. <laughs> that's my boy. Uh, Bobby Thompson. Well, you go get him, Wes. All right. Well, at the same go time, get him, Wes. Yeah. Well, what I would, I wish I was Wes. Um, you can sit here and deny it all you want. No one's going to believe it. <laughs> His Kelvin it's, Benjamin it's, one it's, was the it's, funniest it's, thing it's, I've ever seen. Everyone assumes in my life. that you are Wes. That's it. I know, and I hate it because it's not me. And what happens is like during Fan Fest, I yelled at Freddie Kitchens and was like, "What? You know?" Because he was he didn't wear sleeves, and I was like, "What's up with wearing the sleeves?" And he said. He's, I don't. I didn't get the exact quote, but it was something of like these guns aren't legal in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, "Oh, you just made that up." Okay, West Steinberg. I was like, "No, that actually happened." Even like one of the mayor's grandsons like messaged me and was like, "That was funny." I, I, I was next to him. Uh, <laughs> Dustin, that- do you believe that he is not West? I 100% believe he's not West. There was doubt at first, but it's gone on for too long. I don't think Bobby would have. Bobby's the kind of guy where if it's a shtick for a little bit. Then when it's not a shtick anymore, he stops. But 
it, it's still going. So that's why I think that it's not Wes. If, if this stopped like in the month of November, I'd be like, hmm, maybe. But it's still going. He, he, he would have went to take the credit for the whole Kelvin Benjamin thing too, probably. You know, like once that, that really blew up and uh, everybody thought that Kelvin Benjamin was cut because he was stealing food from the cafeteria. Like Bobby would have been like, that's me. But, yeah, that's oh yeah. Me. That, I mean, that was hilarious. And it's like, it's just so easy to get, uh, I won't, I won't throw anybody under the bus. You what did you think of people. Bobby's, uh, Saquon Barkley, Chicago burned down the stadium and piss on it video. People are going to be really mad. We're not talking about the giants. I promise we're going to get there. It's very funny because it just shows how gullible people are. I mean, I mean, if you're going to believe that, like, that he actually said that i mean and the, and the number of people that actually did believe it, it just shows we are just we're we're a, our society is lost like we're we doomed no that that was my yeah. main that was why it, gt like, bobby thompson gets like he gets credit it's because people are like no well, he got dable right which is like well of course everyone knew that was going to happen it's, yeah also also you the way the way he you could see some of these people work and i know i have a whole like a handful of people i know this is how they work they take the crumbs that are out there from legitimate reporters and then just reiterate them. Like you're, you might not be seeing it because you're not following every single reporter. Like Aaron Wilson put out that Patrick Graham was going to be back at like 6 a.m. in the morning, right? That he was likely to be back, which turned out to not be true. And then somehow, you know, there's other people out there not mentioning any names, GT Bobby Thompson, who like a couple hours later then had that same exact thing. So you, you know, you could take the crumbs and push it forward. And most of the time you're going to be right because you're taking it from legitimate sources out there. Wow. And it's the thing is no one's going to just get there, like, you know, get into the game by breaking the head coach and GM news for the Giants. Like you get the little like you start with Isaiah Wilson and you work up from there. Like you're not mm. getting the head coaching news before, you know, rap sheet, uh, Shef, you know, your boy Schefter. Yeah, well, this um, is like you're talking you're dealing with ownership level. Like those are the only people that are making those decisions. So you're not just jumping like you said from minor transaction to ownership level stuff that's just on a consistent basis that's just not realistic we're friends with john halapio and he was on the 49ers and he told me he's like he had to tell the players in the 49ers locker room like no that's a guy who does like giant stuff that wasn't an actual question to saquon barkley uh <laughs> about you know pissing and burning down this well it was and that was another thing that was breeded by the beat because he got asked like three times basically like if he was going to hold a ceremony on the chicago field so i was like all right let me take this a step further and then within about 10 minutes i was like okay there's gonna be a lot of people who fall for this you would think that you know the part where you say burn down the stadium and pee on the field maybe was where people would where people would be like okay that's (laughs) funny that's a joke this isn't this isn't real but no doesn't it doesn't stop people it just it's they just plowed right through that part you know like it didn't exist I forget what place wrote an article, but I still have the screenshot of the headline. It's like Giants reporter asked Saquon Barkley if he wants to burn down Soldier Field, and that uh, was like, it was uh, like I, I, the I big, need the, frame the big that. lead, the big lead. Yeah, I'm yeah, that's sure what it was. it was the big lead. Yeah, and then and then and then Barstool got a hold of it, like which they should know better than anyone. Like, of course, this isn't real. Yeah, well, they got their interns working their working their accounts. So, all right. Uh, Jordan. Yeah, let's get into some Giants news, though. Uh, we okay. unfortunately have to talk about the Giants. However, I mean. I'm not kind of I'm I've been more happy to talk about the the Giants recently. Now it's going to suck when there's going to be some cuts made, but let's talk to what is I think making at least myself uh pretty pretty excited about the Giants. So what substantial things do you feel are changing or coming in the building now with Joe Shane, Brian Dable now that they're 
taking the lead and taking charge. Now, this could be just overall personnel in the building. That, that could be personnel changes, vibe of the building, technology upgrades. With those two guys taking over, especially Joe Shane in the building, what changes or do you feel could be coming? Well, there's two things that really stick out to me. Okay, number one is Joe Shane, we're going to – you talk to him and you get, a, you get the vibe that he's a smart guy and that, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's competent. He comes from a place where they, they did a really good job and you hear a lot of good things about him. So the bar is so incredibly low, right, that you look at it and you're like, instantly, him – who knows what he is, right? Who knows ultimately if he's going to be really good or – if he's even semi-competent, just think about how big an upgrade that is, right? Because we're talking about a GM he's replacing who, quite frankly, the results say was one of the worst in recent history. Like, he's in Matt Millen range. Mm-hmm. Let's look at his his track record of moves since that when he took over. So the fact that you're adding Joe Shane, who's a smart guy, and I heard all, like almost all positives about Joe Shane, about how he's smart, well-rounded, you know, he, he did pro, he did uh, college, he's a grinder, uh, you know, he's, he's had a, a career where he's, he's held a lot of different jobs. He, he knows football too, like on the coaching side, like that's originally how he, he got in, right? He was a player. So these are all things that I like. The number two is when you look at the words and you look and you see, you know, they're talking about being progressive innovative uh using analytics because let's be honest I mean, we we heard dave gettleman in the Giants say look we're increasing our analytics department and then he went and he said he called the analytics guy the it guy i mean so are we like can we really take that seriously like they trust me and i know joe judge wasn't the, isn't the most advanced in that either right he's he's not super progressive in that way he is in a lot of ways but you know but not not that way specifically but like i know the analytics department, again, they were just, they had the information and it was being looked at by coaches and management. And it was just, you know, basically thrown out the window. Yeah. The idea that you were down 14 points and you should go for a two point conversion was looked at as stupid. Like, how could you do that? Like, what, that that's just ridiculous. No way. We're not going to do that. You could present as much analytical data as possible. That okay, you actually want to try and win. You go for two when you're down 14 the first time, and if you don't make it, you get a chance the second time, right? And so that that like that kind of stuff was looked at. So you see those words, and you, if you go look at the words when they hired Brian Dable, I think it was uh, it was either innovative or progressive. One of those two specific words and, and then a phrase that that was data innovation. That. Yeah, like that stuff makes me think that they're going to be way more advanced. Uh, technologically they're going to be way more advanced analytically than this organization ever has and like we've been talking about this forever about bringing this organization into basically the 21st century and the giants have been super slow and look you can't use it all the time you don't want to use it all the time Mm -hmm. but you'd be stupid not to at least accept or analyze the data that's out there innovative ways and we're talking about and i heard this about joe shade He's willing to look at ways analytically to uh, evaluate players. That doesn't mean he's going to use it in full. It doesn't mean that whatever these numbers say, whatever, you know, we come up with, whatever algorithm we come up with to analyze um, what numbers are good for 
uh, we you are mandatory for wide receivers taken in the third to fifth round, whatever it is. But at least he's willing to use it as part of the puzzle. Yeah, I think that that to me is what really stands out. Yeah, the one of the things that Shane said, and I think he said this when he was on WFAM with Tiki and Tierney, he laughed at it where it was like the boards. Yeah. So what I'm looking at with Joe Shane and what I'm interested to see as we get some behind the scenes videos or whether it's quotes about how is the data innovation process, whether it's technology that is in the building or just how they go about their everyday business. And now we're talking about evaluating players with free agency in the draft. How is that going to be part of it? And I, and I think it will be, it won't be the sole thing, but like you said, I think it will be part of it. And that excites me that they're going to use it as a tool and not just something that's so ambiguous and scary that they should stay away from. Yeah. I know um, they used it in Buffalo. So the fact yeah. that they used it regularly in Buffalo and like, you know, it helped them and go look at their, their dress were pretty good. I mean, they, they got some guys in the, the middle rounds that end up being really good, useful players, you know, the yeah. Devin Singletary's Dawson Knox. Um, Gabe Davis. I mean, mm-hmm. substantial players. And, and God, the Giants need that. They, they yeah. just haven't been able to do that forever now, the middle rounds. Now, Jordan, we were talking about, um, you know, sources and playing the source game and how some people do it. Um, I heard okay. rumblings that the Giants were talking with Joe Shane, not interviewing, not anything illegal, blah, blah, blah but they were at least interested in Joe Shane while the season was still going on. Whether they talked to him, whether they were just interested, I, I don't know, hands off. So I'm going to ask, I'm not asking you to confirm that. I'm just asking you, was Joe Shane always the Giants GM? Was he always their guy, Mara's guy, Tish's guy, Giants front office's guy? I wouldn't say that. I think that's like taking it like a step or two, a couple steps too far. Was he always the favorite? He was a guy that they were interested in, that they knew about, that they heard about. And, you know, these back channel things, everybody knew that Gettleman was gone. It probably like, and I think I had these kind of, you know, these are the texts that me and Bobby had back and forth, probably back in November. What were the two names that I told you key that, that were going to be involved? Do you remember, Bobby? We talked Shane. I know that. Um, and I can't remember the other name. I don't pay attention to the much other name. Say. The other name was Ryan Pulse. Okay, so probably by early December, I had told you those two guys are going to be involved in the mix. Now, if I know that they're going to be involved in the mix, there obviously were some conversations that happened by, you know, and it might not necessarily be because they have to do it a little gingerly because Dave Gettleman was still there. Joe Shane is still there. But, you know, they all have agents. You know, you can have a, a, a general conversation with agents. Hey, we're probably going to be looking for a general manager. Joe Shane is a guy that interests us. You know, we, I can, I can see us possibly talking to Joe when the time comes about an opening. Like these are, these kind of things happen all the time in every aspect. This isn't just the NFL. I mean, that's how, that's how these things work in the media business, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of these conversations. They don't generally have to be John Mara to Joe Shane. Like that technically would be illegal. But there's other ways to let Joe Shane know that the giant, that you're interested in him. You know, you could talk to people around him. Hey, you know, we're trying to find out about this guy to see if we're interested in him. And then, of course, that gets back to him if you're calling his close friends, right? So, yeah, those two guys in particular, I say, were near the top of the list from the beginning. At least those were the ones I knew about. I'm, I'm sure Adam Peters was well-respected, too. I didn't, I just didn't know that. I didn't hear about it until, you know, way later on. But uh, yeah, those 
So Joe Shane was near the top of the list. Like he was, when they started to put together the list, like those were two of the names that were near the top of the list. And then as they go along, I mean, the difference was, and the reason he got the job, Joe Shane, was because he was more, a little more well-rounded than the other people. Yeah, right? he, he could, there's more to running a franchise and being a GM than just talent evaluation. Right. So yeah. he, was, he had worked in multiple departments. And then, so the Giants liked that. He had that. Adam Peters also had that. Ryan Poles was still was a younger guy. He's been mostly on the evaluation side. The Giants loved him to the point where they would have they they had an idea. Okay, we if we hire another guy, we'd love to hire uh, Ryan Poles as our assistant general manager mm. if he didn't get another job, which he eventually did. Because remember, assistant he wasn't the assistant GM in Kansas City, right. so that technically would have been uh, you know a promotion for him. So, but they loved him. But the idea that Joe Shane a had been part of a rebuild that's similar to what the Giants are in now, and B, was involved in multiple aspects, business side, marketing. You know, remember, he started in the ticket office. Like, that's the yeah. story. That was the differentiator and why he ultimately was the choice. Bobby, I'm sorry I'm cutting you off, but Jordan, you said something about Ryan Poles coming over here and being assistant GM. Where, where did John Mara's brain go from December to now – you know, what, when do they make the hire mid January to, for Joe Shane, where did his brain go from, or how did, you know, from what, you know, okay. The fans were, had to be the one to convince John Merritt not to promote Kevin Abrams to GM. That was a thing that was out there to now, like we have this competency and we have this like, Whoa, it seems like we're doing things right. And if Ryan Poles didn't get a GM job, we were going to be interested in bringing him into assistant GM or even just bringing in Brandon Smith to begin with. So how did his brain go from point A to point B? Uh, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't know exactly what he yeah. was thinking. Like he's not. That baffles me to hear that John, though. John Mara is not, not giving me the play by play on this stuff. Yeah. You're no Russ Salzberg. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> That's a legendary. Uh, I mean, there, there's, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I listened to that podcast, by the way. I, let me just say that. And I, it took a lot. It takes a lot for me to listen and read other people at this point in my life. Uh, the, <laughs> that was a, that was an all timer. Yeah, well, Zach told me he's like, you have to listen to this. It's if like, you okay, haven't heard I'll, that I'll, podcast I'll by Russ Salzberg, it, it is it's a classic. It's it's definitely one uh, that that should be uh, listened to for entertainment purposes <laughs> but all right back to john mara here but that was a thing though right uh, am i getting am i getting that wrong about how john mara i don't i don't wanted think, kevin I, I told i told bobby i think bobby because the people were asking me all the time you know nyg daily like i remember him like does this abrams thing is real mm-hmm. and I, I kept telling people look they're not that's that's not going to happen and i talked to people in the organization about this not directly john mara but like they all were under the realization that the results weren't good enough for them to possibly do that. That the fact that he was part of a regime that made so many mistakes, like I don't think that that seriously was ever in consideration from like, like you said, December to to mid-January. Like I really don't. Mm -hmm. Like they understood the situation. Kevin Abrams understood the situation. Like they didn't do well enough like it, yes, would they? In my is it my opinion that John Mara in a perfect world, they would have had a good year, and they would have been able to do that transition if they kept trending in the direction they thought they were heading going into the season after Joe Judge's first year. 
yeah, they could have pushed Kevin Abrams in there. Dave Gettleman goes into the sunset, and there you go. But I, I really don't think that that's something that when things went as poorly as they did this season, and basically every move just did not work out this year, right? I mean, so many moves just did not work out that they would that they seriously thought, okay, this is something we can do. Yep. But they did, so they made change. Like Kevin Abrams, you know, which is surprising to see anyone take a demotion, but Kevin Abrams took a demotion. Mark Kahn's gone. I think there might have been a couple other moves, uh, you know, guys I let go. I can't remember off the top of my head. There's there's a few people that were sort of like directly connected to, to Gettleman, yeah. Yeah, so we know this takes time with the new GM comes in because the draft and free agency is right around the corner. So you can't yeah. just overhaul the whole front office right away. You know, you can, you know, they can, uh, you know, bring in Brandon Brown um, and do uh, do other type of moves. Chris Pettit is like the name out there that's still on Giants fans' radar. Like, yes, Chris Mara, obviously, but we all are, you know, as much as we all say it, we all know he's here for life. Yeah. Uh, Chris and, I, and I don't look, people, people, the, the idea that they should fire Chris Mara and Tim McDonald, that's silly. I mean, this is how the world works, people. You know, like you have a big business and it's you own the business, you have family members on the payroll. That's how like almost every big business operates. You know, that that's that's not, you know, publicly traded in a public organization. And that's just how this world is if you had a if you had this mega corporation bobby wouldn't you put your family and close people on the payroll no i'm all about success no no family ties wow. um yeah but that doesn't mean you could put them in a role that's basically bs i mean you know uh but here's the issue is that chris and, but, Mayer's and, not and in that role. Them. Huh? he's not in a bs role though and you guys you and duggan and even pat leonard did a good job in that end of season john mayor presser really pressing him on like no you're not just gonna. You're not gonna just uh, sidestep this question. Like Chris Mayer being in any room has more weight than other guys because you know uh, it's the whole boss's son, you know, dynamic. I think what we found out here over these last few years is we should be giving Jerry Reese credit and Ernie Acorsi too. Mm. Their job and a GM's job with the way the Giants organization is set up is that they have to minimize. They have to minimize that. Right, that's not going to go away. It's crazy that how that's part of the job. Their job now. is to deal with that, yeah, and keep it in check and make sure that they you make them feel like they're being heard, and you're taking into account. I mean, this is works the way of life in a lot of ways. You, but at the Jordan, same time, that you're Jordan. ultimately making the final decisions. And you're not being overly influenced by it. I mean, that's just and how it's going to be. That's why I think it's so important to have the GM head coach on the same cycle because now yeah. you have that one-two punch against you know that those other voices in the room where Gettleman and Judge didn't get along Absolutely. on everything, and they weren't on the same cycle, and they probably had different. I mean, you know, Joe Judge showed up, and Dave Gettleman was immediately on the hot seat. Like that's not a, a recipe for success, and and that's why Judge being with a new GM wouldn't have been a recipe for success. But it's like having that one-two punch of two guys with a vision, I feel like, is so valuable right now and why we're happy. When things start going wrong and people are on separate pages, people start picking sides. That's naturally, you know, how it works. You're going to be in self-protection mode. Everybody does it. You know, you you latch on to who you agree with and who you who you think is basically the, the stronger the stronger uh, voice there. I mean, that that's just, and so it creates a, a division and. Look, that division existed for sure. Yeah. So, so the basis Jordan, of my question, I got to finish this, Justin. It go, was oh, Chris sorry. Pettit, two weeks after yes. the draft. Do you think that he is still here, or, or has he cozied enough up to Tim McDonald? I think he's in. They're in evaluation mode. 
I, I, th- I still think the jury's out on that. Uh, you know, the evaluations for this draft are going to play a large part in that, right? If Joe Shane is sitting there saying, wow, these Chris Pettit evaluations are really good, he's going to want to keep them, right? Uh, so I, I think I think there's a lot that's still to be determined as we sit here, what, uh, mid-February-ish? Uh, and, and you're, but you're going to see after the draft, I think it, uh, a real – overhaul of the scouting staff in general and you're going to see joe shane bringing people that you know he trusts and people that he looks at and and respects as evaluators and scouts and uh that's coming but that you know i spoke to a source and he said the plan originally was he's going to bring in one guy sort of to be his right hand man he's going to he's going to bring in him to brandon bean yeah yep yeah. Right, he's gonna bring in his his Joe Shane to Brandon Bean, so that's um, I'm drawing a blank on the guy from Philadelphia. Brandon Brown. Right Brandon, Brandon Brown. Oh, I kept on saying Brandon Smith. That's not it. Brandon Smith, the linebacker from Penn State. Wow, look at that. So he's gonna bring in his Joe Shane, and that's Brandon Brown, uh, a young, smart guy. You hear a lot of good things about him. Um, has been mostly on the pro personnel side. But this is, you know, he he got, I think, on his last year was his first year, I think, believe, really doing more draft stuff. So this is an opportunity for him to sort of expand his horizons and, and basically position himself to eventually be a general manager as well. All right, before we get back to the interview with Jordan Ronan of ESPN, we got to talk about... DraftKings Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. Heard the dunk contest, didn't have any of that. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. There's more skin in the game. I love that phrase. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code JOHNBOY. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code JOHNBOY at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 years or older and physically present in New York. Eligibility restrictions apply. Minimum $5 deposit. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full details. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-467. 369. Let's go back to talking with Jordan Ronan. I can imagine football's football, but I also can imagine some of the people that have been in the building for the Giants for a long time, or even people that were just hired under, you know, scouts that were hired under Judge or hired just under Gettleman. I can imagine it's very difficult in terms of like almost speaking the same language of how they want to go about like an evaluation process. So I, I can really only imagine how difficult that may be right now and how important this evaluation process is for Joe Shane and then also the guys that are already in the building right now. So. Yeah, I mean, we're still fresh and new, so I think we're going to find out over yeah. the next few months. I mean, I think they're still learning, right? Those guys you're talking about, they're still finding out, okay, what what is what is he going to want from us? Yeah. What is going to be different here? How are we going to evaluate? And I think as we get through to the combine, 
through the combine and, and, and the next few weeks after that, we're going to find out more about where this organization really is going under Joe Shane. That's why when you mentioned, I, I was really kind of vague. And when you're talking about the technical technological, maybe advances that they're going to make. Right. Cause I mean, he's been there. Is it been a month? Probably less he's been than here a for month. a hot second. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how much can you actually change in three or four weeks? Like you, you still have to get ready for free agency in the draft. He doesn't have time to make all these massive overhauls yet. That's why once April comes around after that draft, that's when we're going to see, okay, he has this plan. Here's what, here's how he's going to do it. And now he has time to, you know, April, May, June, July, August, even to really start, you know, get the wheels turning. Yeah. And I think the difference between this regime and the previous regime is I think because of the process, they deserve the patience. Like Joe Shane deserves that patience versus no Dave Gettleman. Sure. He could have been given that patience, but when you, double down on Eli and then you draft Saquon, you sign Nate Solder, all that money. You don't deserve that patience. So I think that's the he kind of He got it. He there. stayed for four years. Yeah, well, I'm talking about he from got the fan four base. years, for God's sake. From the think fan about base. that for a second. That's how dysfunctional the organization is. The fans didn't give it to him. The organization still gave Dave Gettleman four years. <laughs> the yeah. coaches can't get four years, but the, the, the GM, who is historically bad, gave you got four years. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's I, the thing that bothered me the most about Gelman was like throwing Shermer under the bus three weeks before the season's over. When in reality, Shermer was a lot better than what Gelman was. But we got a new coaching staff. I want to talk about some players as well because they have some decisions to make. But yeah. I do want to talk about the OC because Wink Martindale wants Patrick Graham leaves, and I actually want to hit on some old Judge Graham stuff to clean up at the end. Uh, so, we, but Wink is like a slam dunk candidate, right? Mm-hmm. But Mike Kafka, they had Pep Hamilton. Uh, who like seemed like you know seemed like a lot of people's favorite you know from the outside looking in Chad O'Shea. What kind of made Mike Kafka the guy for Brian Dable? Because I know football is all football, um, but it's like you know he runs West Coast. You know, uh, you know Dable runs Earhart Perkins. Like what made Kafka the guy for them? I think, and from what I've heard, he just impressed him from a a football perspective. Like it's not just it's not specifically like we run this and you run that it's his approach to how he looks at football and how he looks at offensive football. And I know you say West coast and you know, the, the Earhart Perkins, you know, that's what Dayball runs. Remember Brian Dayball went, and I think this is the new age version. Andy Reid's been like that. Andy Reid was a West coast guy, but he's also, he's also evolved and sprinkled so much more stuff in. So I think that appealed to Dayball as well. The fact is that think about it. Dayball is, he does come from the Patriots tree, right? Technically, but he's also worked for a lot of different offices. I spoke to Davis Webb about this and that's what he told me. The beauty of Brian Dayball's offense is it's going, you're going to see elements of Alabama Hmm. of what he did when he worked with Tua and Jalen Hurts. You're going to see some of new England of what they did with Brady. You know, the real spread him out, quick passing game. You're also going to see a lot of that RPO and zone read stuff that they did with Josh Allen in Alabama. And he takes it and puts it together. I have a story coming. Uh, I don't Ooh. know when it's going to run. It might run before this. I, I'm not really sure, but around whenever this publishes. But the idea is Brian Dable, he, he, he gets hired, right, on a Friday night. He speaks to Daniel Jones that night and he says, hey, 
and this is what he does. This is not just specifically for Daniel. Hey, you know, tell me what plays you like best. Tell me what you like to run, whether it's even high school, Duke. I want to know what you like to run. And he, this is what he's known to do. And so in Buffalo, Cole Beasley had a couple plays from SMU that he really liked to run. They ended up being some of their most popular plays and successful plays. Cole Beasley played from SMU was like one of the, the Buffalo Bills top plays. And so like, that's what, that's how Brian Dable is going to build this playbook in part. Like he has his staples, right? Of course, everybody does, but he's going to take plays that Daniel Jones, like plays that Saquon Barkley, if he's there, that he likes to run, maybe that worked for him in Penn state and put them in the playbook. Davis Webb told me, he takes 80 to 90% of their plays that they suggest and actually puts them in the playbook. Hmm. Doesn't mean he's always going to run a lot of them, but the fact that he's taking 80 or 90% of these plays that are suggested by his players, even the defensive guys, Davis Webb mentioned named Jordan Poyer, who's a safety in Buffalo. Like he could, like the defensive guys are giving them suggestions and he'll take them and put them in the playbook. I think the, the, the term he used was he's not a guy who knows it all. He's the guy who's looking to find out it all, you know, or something along those lines. He said it more eloquently than I did. I, I screwed it up in some way, shape or form. But I think so that that's when you look at it and say, OK, that's where Mike Kafka kind of fits in here, too, because you're talking about a guy they're, they're They're not specifically saying this is the offense you run. We want to institute that here. No, they want a guy who's open minded and is willing to, you know, think from an open mind in regards to offense and football and that's how they're going to build their offense here so I don't think you can really pigeonhole too much of systems and this is what they're going to look like they're really and I think Mike Kafka had the same thought process going to tailor it to what these players that they have do Mm. and that's how this offense is going to be do you think Kafka gets the play calling duties this year I don't know yet my gut tells me Mike Kafka would only really be taking this job if he thought he probably was going to be the play caller. Cause think about it for a second. I mean, they even said they want the OC to call players. Anyway, they said too. they want the, uh, he's at least in the serious consideration to call plays. Like it's not like a done deal that they both going to call plays. I really don't think so. Mike, think about it. Eric B is up in the air about whether he returns to Kansas city. That would have kind of bumped up uh, Mike Kafka. Right likely yeah. i mean that, that's kind of what you've been hearing for a while like andy reed wanted mike kafka if if, if eric the enemy left to be his offensive coordinator so to me in order to be able to want him to make this move i think that probably was a part of it the fact that they would look at him as a potential play caller so i i, I do think at some point in this season you're going to see mike kafka calling plays. and also in kansas city it shows you who's really calling plays in kansas city yeah andy reed it's andy reed yeah Unless Andy Reid wants to spread propaganda that day. Um, Justin, do you want to get into some of like individual players of like, because there's a lot of big decisions looming for, for this. I mean, he said he wants to clear 40 mil a cap, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I honestly, I mean, it seems to be the best way to clear at least $7 million of cap space. Jordan is trading Saquon Barkley. Now, I have gone on record saying, put a gun to my head. I do not think Saquon Barkley is on the team next year. And I do think he, I, I, it's not something that I just hope as I like him as a person, but, you know, as a fan, I just hope that the Giants just kind of move on. What are you thinking 
the future of Saquon Barkley holds. I'm saying you just have to look at it from a realistic perspective. Team-wise and personal-wise for him, he's in the last year of his deal. Right? He's the fifth-year option, seven point whatever, $7 million, let's say. The Giants need to clear cap space. It, you can't bank on wanting to resign this guy anyway right now. He's been injured for three straight years. Seems like the most obvious move for the clear cap space is moving on yeah. from Saquon. You clear cap space. You add capital. It, it, it would be good for the Giants. It would probably be good for the player, too. Like, he's probably – a change of scenery probably would not be bad for Saquon Barkley. Now, I still think he's a pretty good player. Like if he's healthy, I still think he's a good player. I don't. Yeah. I don't really realistically think uh, you know Devontae Booker is as good or better than him. No, Devontae Booker was as good or better than a Saquon Barkley that was banged up for for most of the year. Yeah, who was coming back from major injury. Yeah, that if that's what Saquon is, then yes, they're comparable. I think he he has an off season now to get healthy. You, you, you I think he could be a, a still a good player in the league. But what's his future? What's his future with the Giants? At best, it's up in the air after the season. He has to stay healthy and prove he can stay healthy to even warrant talking to about a a long-term contract. So the likelihood is he has one year left on his deal. If you can get something for him in shed cap for a team that, quite frankly, I mean, they're gonna they're they're in the midst of like a, a, a rebuild. Yep. Like they almost have to rebuild here. They have to shed $40 million off a of 4-13 and 13 team. Yeah, well, they're kind of in a – like, Saquon Barkley next year on the Giants is kind of a no-win situation for the Giants, where if he plays really well, like, you know, he stays injury-free. It's like, well, what, he's been injured his entire career besides the rookie season. Uh, and even, you know, even had that training camp injury uh, that rookie yeah. season. So it's like there's really no more – like, we when you say if he's healthy, it's like, well, he's never healthy, you know. So, but if, if say, he stays healthy – and he has an awesome season. Well, now you're stuck paying a face of the franchise running back, and that's gonna that's years always... six to eight. How many running backs you want to pay years six to eight in their career? Exactly, and that's and this is one it's that's a, had it's a, it's serious an awkward spot right now. Injury really history, is. injury history. A one who has always had an issue of getting those you know those tough nose yards, and then this past year it's like okay, he didn't get those tough yards besides a couple of games, but he also didn't have any big plays besides one catch. Versus, I mean, he didn't have a single fifty-yard run this year. That's yeah. insane to look. Like, look at injured Saquon Barkley from 2019. Look at his highlight tape; is better than anybody, any running back in the league. And he was battling with a sprained ankle half that season. Um, so he either plays well and you have to pay him, or he plays horrible and you just let him walk for nothing and you didn't get whatever you get back from him. I um, talked about this on my podcast with Dave Rothenberg. Third round pick this year. Do you take it for him? Oh Easy. yeah. I feel like that's best case scenario. Almost I at feel this like point. I feel like for a third round. No, pick, best case to me is how about this? And I brought this up, which is basically the equivalent of a third next year, a second rounder this uh, next year. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, yeah. But at this and also you have to look at it from other teams' point of views. Is like they're not as entrenched at the day to day. Like, okay, like for I always bring up John Ross when the Giants signed John Ross. You look at the speed. You look at him getting like a lot of t- like a lot of touchdowns for playing we a little bumped. bit. But you don't look at the drops the same way when you're watching, you know, right. uh, all 22. And it's it's like, so us, it's like, hey, if he can drop it, where Evan Ingram, where it's like Giants fans hate Evan Ingram. But another team sees Evan Ingram, like, I can work with that guy. So you yeah. look at it from another team's point of oh, view. Definitely. That's a step away. You look at Saquon Barkley. You say all the reasons right there. Like, if he could get healthy, 
there's definitely teams that will convince themselves that yeah. Saquon Barkley. Oh yeah, we can work with him. You know, you know. Hey, let us work with him. Let's let's see if let's see if you know we can we can hit. You know, because there's the potential to hit big on it. So that potential is enticing. It's like the golden. It's like the carrot hanging right there. You know. And when he's right, he's a running back who adds wins. Like I know they haven't had a bunch of wins as the Giants, but he did add wins in his tenure, uh, his first two years with the Giants. wasn't enough. But he is a running back who can do some special things when he's right. He just hasn't been right. And now we're heading into a contract year. If we're heading into year three, this would be a totally different conversation. I, but I just think the Giants are in a no-win situation with Saquon, whether he plays well or plays bad. Yeah. If I'm like a pretty good team and I have some money I, I, and like, you know, you're close, like you're a competitor. Like I, I would add him. I mean, I think it's a good ad for a team that's willing to take that shot that, that he can at least get back to even 80% of what he was at that time is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a team that's even willing to give up a second or a third round pick, I may even be willing to, the giants may have to eat some of that cap anyway. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a team that's just going to clean wipe. All right. We'll give you a, a good high leverage draft pick. Plus we'll take all the cap too. Um, for one year, maybe a competitor will, but I think that's going to be tough. But there will be a team that will look at what Saquon Barkley can do versus, you know, a psychopath like myself that charted in the, you know, in the month of December that 25% of his carries went for zero or or negative yards. Teams will not be doing that. No, they'll be looking. They'll be they'll be dreaming of the upside. There's always yeah, somebody absolutely. out there that. So do you think he's here next be. year or not? Who's this? Saquon. So I'm not going to put a, I'm willing to put a gun to my head, which is no strong. Wish. I'm going to put, I'm um, going to say if I had a, if I had a bet on it, I, I'm going to bet on him not being here. Ooh. Wow. Okay. I think he will be. Um, but I, I'm hoping, I don't not. think he would object to it either, by the way. Yeah. But, you think, you think guys, you think guys like playing on losing teams, teams that no. have been consistently losing. He's looking around the league, his buddy, Odell, because they're still close, just finally found a spot that was good, like a good organization and a good team. And he's he's sitting there celebrating a championship. Granted, he tore his knee, you know, tough or went out for him. But, uh, you know, guys see this. I mean, he and trust me, it's frustrating to lose every week. It's frustrating to be injured and having people all over you. I, I mean, think about it. You could tell Saquon the frustration is hidden. He said it multiple times already. If you basically to the people that have doubted him, like if when he turns around, you better stay on the other side of the table. You know he's hearing it. Oh yeah, he hears it. I, you know, and I, I part of me does feel bad for him because it's a lot of has been injury. You know, it's it's injury and the fact that he was drafted second overall is why he gets. All of this, you know, and to be fair, he hasn't been around a very good team around him. His offensive line has yet to be, you know, like he's not playing. This rookie year was special too. Like not playing in a great situation. He never had like he's not. It's like if you put him in San Francisco, he'll he'll be great. You know, I mean, he didn't have that situation around him now. Yeah, he's had dog shit offensive lines. I mean, his rookie year was special. Even his second year was pretty damn good when you consider injuries and again another bad team around him. you know, so and and you know those explosive plays were were have always been there, and this year they just weren't, and he just didn't look like the same player. So, yeah. but again, I'm just guessing, you know, on whether he's going to be there or not because we really don't know anything about Joe Shane yet. But I'm just looking at the situation money wise. Uh, he's talked about the cutting of the money, the Saquon's contract, 
it, so to me, it almost it, like like Bobby said, it almost makes sense. Like if you if you just took all names out of it and all draft, you know where you know draft position out of it, like it, it would just make sense. And we're not in position to have a seven million dollar running back who's on the last year of his deal here. It doesn't, and and you can see what with a bad offensive line, Devontae Booker wasn't good, but he averaged you know four point two yards per carry, which isn't horrible, you know. So it's like you can you That's can see number. someone else. Uh, run, you saw Wayne Gallman have success, and I was never a big Wayne Gallman fan, but he had success. Hell, even Alfred Morris had like good games, you know, when they had Gage, Lemieux, and Thomas all working and Zeitler working together well. Um, so it's, it's again, we're also talking about the running back spot. We're not talking about a QB. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to save you some Daniel Jones conversation because I think it's it's pretty – everyone has the same point of view right now on DJ. Um, you know, decline the option, give him a year because the QB class doesn't make – like, I don't want to belabor that. Yeah, they're just in a – the position just, just speaks for itself. Like, the, the, the spot that they're in with it. Like, if they had a lot of money, it would make – you know, the Russell Wilson talk would be – you know, if they were in a better position, just in general, roster-wise – uh, financially, the Russell Wilson talk would make more sense, but it just it just doesn't. Yeah, you know. And, I'm a, and I've kind of changed my. Unless you're like the you're a team that's like the QB away, it's like you have everything in place but the QB. I kind of changed my stance on the QB trades. Like you know what, be good at drafting and find the QB you believe in and get them. You know, Mike Kafka and the Chiefs did that. Buffalo Bills and, and Brian Dable and Joe Shane did like believe. At some point, you got to believe in that you can evaluate a QB and get a QB. Don't be the Colts. Yeah, well, you got to build it. That's the thing. They have to build up enough around that position right now because they're they're just not even close, right? We're we're talking about having to shed $40 million. So think about their roster already with as many holes as they have, adding more holes. Like, that's what's going to happen here. Yeah, if they added Wilson, they'd just be a worse version of the Seahawks. Um, Yeah. if 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 a young guy like Deshaun Watson wasn't have legal troubles, that one makes more sense. But there's no, you know, there's... You know, there's First no of all, young. The Seahawks are in a better situation than the Giants. They have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, you know, Bobby Wagner. I mean, the Giants don't have those guys. No, take for them, none of those guys. Disrespectful to Kadarius Tony, but whatever. <laughs> um, what you do you only... think about Kadarius? Like, just overall, like from the media covering him, because his press conferences were electric. When he plays, he's electric. But he's had these injury issues, and you know the. The off-the-field stuff, I think, is overblown, but I also don't think you can ignore it and pretend like, hey, this isn't a guy that, you know, you worry about getting through an offseason. Um, like, you've been covering the Giants for a long time, and he seems like a different player than you guys have ever covered. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty electric. I mean, he could do a lot of things, but uh, he just didn't play this year. He was always injured. So then that brings back into those things that you talked about off the field, you know, and you wonder, you know, is he – how much is he focusing on football? How much is how much does it mean to him? Uh, and and that's a, a a realistic question. I mean, you can't just ignore it. Uh, so until you see him on the field, until you see him doing what you think he could do, I think those questions are just going to persist. I mean, uh, you know, I always have questions. I, I understand, Bobby. You live in Florida; it's another world. But when you have an air, uh, uh, was it, it wasn't an air rifle, a ri- some sort of rifle in the back seat, right? It's not illegal, but the fact that you need a rifle in the back seat to me is like, what do you need a rifle in the back seat for, for protection? What are you doing? 
uh, those things are real. I mean, yeah. that that was a thing that came That's up in the second draft. Amendment, right, brother? No, um, my, my is, thing is it is. But why do you I know need, I'm giving you a hard time? What, what, what you need it for? He needed it for protection because it was, you know, that that's I think. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. I'm giving I mean, you a hard my time. My thing with Tony is, you know, and this was this was the baffling thing that when it came to the spring and summer, is just finding ways to not be on the football field, and it for it for whether it was injury, whether it was COVID during his camp, cleats didn't fit the, him. The, Have the you sh- ever heard of that in your life? The shoe thing, he was practicing shoeless, like. It was just finding ways now, some, whether they're legit, not legit, whatever. I'm just kind of looking at it from, you know, the upstairs standpoint, be on the field for the practices that you're, especially that, that are mandatory. Cause I know the giants are going to have more now that they have new coaching staff camp is going to start earlier, be on the field for that stuff. And if you're there during the summer, if you're there during the spring, I will take kind of a, a bigger, deeper breath. Yeah, show up for the spring. That was the only thing that really bothered me at Quebec Darius was like skipping OTAs, you know, and, and the contract excuse was BS. That's the only real, that's the only concrete thing that I'm like, no, you need to, you need to show up for those. That was sneaky, quiet, bad. He got bad advice on that. And I know that pissed off the Giants organization. Uh, you know, they, they kept saying all the right things. They can't really do anything about it, but it's unheard of. Like you ever hear of a guy holding out from OTAs? Like that doesn't really happen for rookies. Like you want him in there to learn the offense and do all that. And so that, that was weird. Here's my thing with, with, with Tony, it reminds me of the Odell situation and the fact that there's certain guys that drama seems to find them. Mm-hmm. Right. But when, it's not really a drama finding them. It's that they help cultivate it and create it as well. And so that those guys, if those, they, if those guys always continuously find themselves in sort of controversial situations, they're doing something to perpetuate that. And so it's not, it's likely not going to go away. It's now, is it a non-negotiable here? No, absolutely not. Because you, but you just need them as long as you get on the field and produce, it's not a problem. These yeah, are all, yeah, these, exactly. these have all been minor things, like everything you just named minor things. But if you're not playing and all and you're bringing unnecessary attention to yourself, that's why you don't want all the drama around you. But he, we'll see what happens as he grows up and as he learns uh, I mean, even the whole media part of it, he doesn't really understand. Are you intimidated when you when you go to those Kadarius Tony media sessions? No, I'm not intimidated by him. I Come mean, on, man! A guy laughs in your face like that's that's a little like even not maybe not intimidated, but it's like like maybe double checking your question. Like, yeah, do you me, think twice? Let me, let me, I don't. I don't feel like having him laugh in my face and have Bobby clipping this and you know. No, I, I don't think about that. Honestly, I think about all right. What's the best way for me to ask this question? So that he actually might answer it. What you mean? I got a mouth. Uh, that was a good response to one. That's the one. That's the one response I remember to one of your questions. My favorite was him just staring down Paul Schwartz for ten seconds and then laughing. Uh, Tom. Yeah, Rock, he doesn't really out. understand the media concept of it, of like what it's all about and and like what his what his role in it as the player is. And I think that's like a. It's not a him thing. That's like that's like a new generation thing. Like they don't really understand the whole media concept because they. They see the platform that's out there for them on social media by themselves now. They think that they don't need the media, but the reality is the media is there as a purpose. It's like a marketing arm for the league and the team, but that players don't really see it that way at this point. And then he 
certainly does not see it that way at this point. Well, it doesn't help that media some clowns, and he's wow. above that. That would be how many times curveball. did you have like a bet with with Bobby? How many times you could you could fit that into this interview? No, no. Like is that... the over under three and a half, and like you're at three right now. So if you get the four, oh, I could hit. If the if we did that, the over under would be like ten. Well, I'm about <laughs> to hit the over. I'm about to hit the over right now. How much of a curveball would it be if you were to just show up? Now I don't. I know you wouldn't do this, but you're a professional. You also dress very well, which I compliment you every training camp that I have public access to. I'm like with the, with the fit, the, with the shoes and the, 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 what do you call it? Um, visor visor. Oh, thank cool. you. But, I get uh, a lot of crap for the visor. It makes, no, like one of those, it makes, it makes me, it's like one of those things that old people wear nowadays. It's like, it's like cargo, cargo shorts. No, it's, it's not like, old people. It's you, Steve Spear. Me. Blank, I Blank wear Kathy. them. It's not yeah, old people. I, I, you just named a lot of old people. <laughs> hey, you're, for an old guy, you catch on pretty quick. I, I have an old soul. It would be quite the curveball if you just show up with the shirt with his face on it and then care to comment, and then you ask him a question. He would definitely do a double take, and I don't know how we would, I, we he would always, react to that quite strong. We always joke, like, uh, I want, you know, we were going to ask him, like, uh, what does Jung Joka mean? <laughs> That's something to I I have his all his answers memorized. I can tell you that's totally something totally different. I don't want you all to get offended me calling so y'all clowns. There's only if a I select say, group of y'all. If I would say, what does Jung Joka mean? What would he say? He would just laugh at you. He'd be like, he wouldn't even understand that. I don't think <laughs> he, he, would, he would do that. Daryl Slater is the best one because he's just like the corn. You know, no <laughs> shot. But it's just those 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 bring out the best Kadarius Tony moments. Um, can you recite that again, Bobby? No, I'm not doing that again. You don't oh, ask me to recite. Next time Nick Gates wears one of our shirts, can you call him out on it in the press conference? Because he's done it like three or four times now. What do you mean, call him out? Why do I like, can you out? ask him about that? You'd be like, what's hey, up? that's a nice where'd shirt. You get, where'd you get that shirt? I mean, what am I working for you now? <laughs> Try, I, win a Tony Award or not. I'm, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's up to you. If it comes down to it. And if that if it's like getting late in the in the uh, you know in the uh, election time, and and that's what it takes, I, you know, it's possible. Like I I might do it. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. It might it, it might need be like desperate times call for desperate measures. I think that's what it would take for me to be like, hey, why are you wearing a talking giants shirt? He wore the talking giants versus the world one, the most recent, and he had a jacket on. Yeah, you could just see the verses. Like, All you could on, see was. I told him, I'm like, dude, can you please take the jacket off next time? I mean, I might throw in that's a sweet shirt or something. I, I can give, yes, you, I can give you that. Yeah, yeah, nice no, shirt. No, don't don't promote. We're uh, we, we don't we're not asked for promotion, but like, hey, that's a nice. No, shirt. No, but I'm saying like, why you wear? Oh, what's with that shirt? It's just like that's so lame. You know, no. like to say do that. that yes, lame. that would be that would be a good way to bring it up. Um, that <laughs> that actually would lame. be a good way to bring it up. Like I'd be like, sweet shirt. Those guys are those guys are crazy losers. But you know, whatever. And then we can have a conversation. People would that would get that would move you up. And remember, it's it's Talking Giants Patreon members who are the ones who vote. So it's like very specific to Talking Giants. Um, okay. I want to clean some stuff up to get back on track from the Joe Judge era. Okay. Um, I want to ask about Graham. How close was Joe Judge to staying as the head coach? Because it definitely seemed like they wanted to bring him back. It took so it you know it really seemed like it was like like I still think John Mayer believes in Joe Judge, but he realized that he had to start fresh. It was too bad. And he, I mean, he said those words basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like, how close that. was judge to stand? Because if before that 11 minute answer, it seemed like a, like a foregone conclusion. He was back. 
I it was I was very close to staying. Uh, I really think that in the end, the way that the like they wanted to keep him, obviously. Adam Schefter reported they wanted to keep him, but that was with like what five weeks left in the season. Yeah, and a lot he happened in the, on your podcast. What's that? Then he backtracked on your podcast. Eh, not really. He said basically, you know, they intended to keep him, which they did, unless they kept it open for this scenario. The things totally falling apart. The yeah. eleven minute ramble, which and the fact that they became a public punchline, mm-hmm. and then you know even John Mara, I think probably would have kept. Joe Judge, uh, but Steve Tisch, from what I understand, was pushing like, "Well, we need to, we need to make a change. Like, we have to do this. Like, this is something we have to do. Like, there's too many people unhappy. Our organization is still a mess. Like, we need to do this. We need to start over, align everyone, and and then eventually, you know, John Mara agreed with him, and that's why we're sitting here today. But yeah, no, they they wanted to bring him back. Like, um, if if that all they had to do for Joe Judge to come back was lose quietly late in the season, not have the the eleven minute answer, not have the kneeling on the, you know, inside, just just get safety again, lose. You know, you have no quarterback. Just don't make yourself a walking punchline. That's ultimately what got him fired. Is that when everyone around the country was making the Giants and Joe Judge a walking punchline, ownership then says we can't, and this is how coaches always get fired. It reaches a point where ownership can't justify keeping them because the fan base and everyone around is so done with everybody that they just can't for the their own pocketbook, for their own, you know, the, their own, uh, you know, their marketing team can't operate when the, everyone just is looking at them as a joke anymore. That's when you have to fire the coach, and that's what happened. His buddy, you know, shake and bake the bake portion, Josh McDaniels hired on a Sunday. Brian Dable saying, unless he gets a head coaching gig, uh, he's back on Monday. What changed in that time period? I, you know, I don't like. I don't. A lot of people have like connected the Brian Flores dots, but I don't think that really like. What changed from him being a, the head coach saying he's back unless he gets a head coaching gig to him leaving the, for, the, for the Raiders? I think another opportunity arose. And he was like, hey, this might be a better opportunity than the one I'm in right now, right? Because remember, like he would have come back. Like we know that. They all said that, right? And that's the Graham interviewed with them. And he looked at everything from a big picture. And he got offered a job from someone he's worked with before, someone he trusts, someone he's friendly with. Now he worked with Brian Dable too. Don't get me wrong. But he just watched his friend, Joe Judge, what they think was getting railroaded, right? They promised Joe Judge time. You know, yeah. how many times do you think Joe Judge had a, a, a conversation with John Mara about, you know, this is going to take time. We are, we're not close. Like we, we, and Joe Judge was, he said this publicly a lot about how he was intent on doing it the right way. And this was going to be a multi-step process. And he never was shy about the fact that he was basically saying and saying publicly, they weren't very good. Their talent wasn't very good, and that this was going to take time. So he had these conversations with John Mara regularly, right? And all of a sudden, the the, the rug they feel is pulled out for him. Granted, he contributed that in some way, in some ways, absolutely. But then they view it as okay, he got the rug pulled out from underneath him. You know, like is this really where I want to be? Like, how do I know the same won't be done to me in a year or two? Yeah, next year. You know, like so. 
he sees he sees an opportunity and maybe also the, the talent level in Oakland, uh, say Oakland, Las Vegas. They have they have some talented edge rushers there. So you, you could you know, it's, it's not a terrible spot to be in. It's a guy he trusts. Maybe I'm going to go do that. Yeah, but when Joe Judge was fired, it was like, okay, Patrick Graham's not coming back. You know, it's like like you said, for all those reasons, his best friend who he believed in, like those guys were tight knit. Like you know, the shake and bake wasn't a joke. Like they, they were they were together they're on very close. Yes, like very very close. Their and wives so are hanging sense. out and they're spending a lot of family time together. Like that's real. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, but then McDaniel's gets the head coaching gig on Sunday, so you think maybe that's a, a place Graham could go. But then the next day they're saying he's back unless he's a head coach. It's just such a weird way to go. But I mean, I I love Pat. I, I'm I'm rooting for him where. Wherever he goes, he seems like a, a good. He's, I mean, whether you, I do think that Brian Flores' situation, while not maybe the the number one thing, it probably played into it. I mean, you you hear these things. I mean, it, it sounds like at least it played a small. Yeah, and he loved had, you know the, the totality of it all put together. He's sitting there saying, you know what, maybe this is a better spot for me. Well, and I I remember when you guys talked to him at the towards the end of the year, it was before the Dolphins game, is what it was, and. Uh, you know, someone asked him, like, you know, what happened with you? You know, it was like, oh, assume better friends with Joe, you know, and like the beat reporter, you know, you guys left. Like, it was a funny question, you know, and he was just like, and he, he's very playful with you guys. I remember him being like, I don't find that funny at all. He's like, yeah. I, like he went, he went on like a two minute rant of like how much he loves Brian Floyd. Like, almost seemed like he was going to tear up. Um, I don't know, because you know. there's, it was, it was awkward. He got offended by the question. I think Dan Duggan asked it, if I remember right. And he got offended by the question and it was supposed to be like a joke. And then sort of talked about how they were very friendly and their wives were friendly. You know, I'm talking about Flores and Graham, but there also was something there that happened along yeah. the way. And you kind of, he kind of hinted about it. And, and I've heard some stuff about how Brian Flores, I think essentially took over the play calling at the end Yeah, from Patrick Graham. So I, and I don't think that went over very well. That's why, he kind of wanted to get out. So I don't know if there's – I think it's just a touchy subject for Patrick Graham. And so I don't think it's that they're they're super, super close. I think it's that maybe they were close and they're still friendly, but there's still there's still something there that happens, right? And it seems that, like Flores kind of had that effect on a lot of people, the way he, he went through coaches. Which is why he's not the Giants head coach, because that was part of the equation. I mean, that was the knock on him. And that's what they talked about. I mean, I heard that there were conversations in the organization. And when they're discussing about who they're going to pick as the head coach, like that was part of Brian Flores. Like he didn't get along with the general manager. He had, you know, he, he had a lot of coordinators and coaches go in and out. Like that was part of the differentiation between him and, and Brian Dable from what I understand. We found out later that Joe Judge had media chalk talk sessions with you guys. Is there was there anything like that we didn't know about? Maybe it's the way the offense they were doing certain things. Like, is there anything like from those that you can give us out of those? Because it's like that fascinates me. Because like I want to know maybe some reasoning on, you know, maybe when Garrett was here, and I don't feel like rehashing the Garrett stuff, but like why they were doing certain things. I think that they just knew that they were so limited by the offensive line that they were just sort of protecting themselves against the offensive line the whole time. Like I'm talking about both years. Like they knew their offensive line couldn't hold up. Think about it. Every time they had to go back and pass, 
the quarterback was going to get hit and killed because like, they couldn't protect. They just knew that they couldn't protect. So I really think that they were scheming, maybe that maybe thinking too much into it, right? And going yes, about definitely. saying, we like, we have to protect ourselves against this. Like we'll, we're going to try and win the game, thirteen ten. Like that's how they were trying to win football games because they knew that their offensive line was not good enough to protect, and that they and and that's how they had to operate. So yeah, uh, yeah. Do you think that was the biggest like disconnect between him and Gettleman because they didn't do anything for the offensive line. In fact, I mean, they made it worse going into this, you know, from what it was in 2000. Like, at least in the end of 2020, it's like, okay, Thomas is coming along. You can see why he was drafted there. You had Zeitler. Gates was, you know, became like a, a pretty good player. Lemieux was a good run blocker. And they got rid of Zeitler. Uh, Nate Solder was a downgrade from Fleming. And the coaching staff n- clearly never had much confidence in The fact in that, that you just uttered that sentence is so troubling, it's ridiculous. I forgot which even Nate, one that was. Nate Solder is a downgrade from Cam Fleming. And he was. You know, he was a downgrade Think from Mike Remmers. Think about that for a second, though. For God's sakes. Oh, my goodness. He, I mean, he was a downgrade from Mike Remmers, you know. Um, you know, and, and the coaching staff never had – They could. there's no way you could tell me they ever had any confidence of Matt Parrott that they didn't let him ever start unless he was forced into that role. Well, that's In fact, where when you he started, see. he played better than Solder, but that's and they still wouldn't give him the gig. That's where you could see – the real difference in opinion and the, the the rift between the front office and the coaching staff. Obviously, two very different opinions on Matt Pear. One is, we think Matt Pear can be a starting tackle in the league. The other one, Matt Pear is a backup player in this league. He can't play. You know, the coaching staff was not high on Matt Pear. Yeah. And it did yeah. not think he could play. Which they I think, think that was – I think that's bad on both sides, where Pear should have never been benched or – Solder should at least quarter way through the season should have been benched for Matt Parrott, but they were just so stubborn and like, well, Matt Parrott's not the guy that they continue to roll out and a guy who wasn't ready to like, he just wasn't an NFL player anymore. And Nate Solder. And even when he, you know, even in 2019, he was had like the worst left tackle production in the league. I mean, we could look at it both ways when they put Matt Parrott in there. It wasn't good either. Though. But it was, it was I, no doubt. So, definitely. Now you want to, you want to see Matt Parrott only because he's younger, but he, but he was better than Solder. I mean, it's the ba- there's there he there's some really bad Matt. It's Parr- close enough for it to there. have been an easy decision to play. So it's it's on both sides, you know. Whereas like I got a lot of heat for being like, like like when Matt Parrot came in and didn't play well. It was like, oh, you were banging on the table for Matt Parrot. I was like, no, I was banging on the table to get Nate Solder the hell out of the lineup. Like it wasn't what, what Matt Parrot has working against him is he's now had what he's on his fourth co- offensive line coach in three oh yeah years. he's. He's like out of mind, out of sight. He, yeah, and he had the so, injury too, and he and he's been banged up, and so he's really it's it's like how you're supposed to develop a player like that. That's just not the way you want to go about developing a player. Each every every half a season, you have a different guy chirping in his ear and new new techniques, and, and you want him to work a different way. Like he's been he's in a spot where he he's not gonna he's not not gonna be a succeed be able to succeed. Can you ask Lewis Riddick to apologize to Andrew Thomas? Wow. Uh, he's addressed it. I forget what he said. But I know. He definitely addressed. <laughs> I know. I know. He's definitely talked about it. You are like driving that Andrew Thomas train, like, like no other Bobby. Like, Before I think he was even a giant, I was driving. You're in Andrew love. Thomas train. You're in love. Oh yeah, I'm in love. I I think we're we're trying to get him on. Are we at a point eventually. now where it's at cruise control though? Like I don't think there's there there's a huge need to drive it. Like, well, you know no, I mean? there's a difference. There's a difference between like. 
I think he's a good quality tackle. Bobby thinks he's like a top five tackle in the league. Um, top ten. I think he's better than any of the young guys that from the last three years. If we're li- listing left and right, there's no way he's a top ten tackle in the NFL. Well, no, and that's the issue. That's some of the benefit that Tr- Tristan Wirfs gets is like, oh, Tristan Wirfs a Pro Bowl. It's like, well, yeah, because all the best tackles play left tackle. He plays. That's not true. I mean, that's not necessarily true. I mean, Tristan Wirfs is good, but watch Andrew Lane, Thomas. Lane Johnson is one of the best tackles in the league. I mean, Mitch yeah, Schwartz was one of the best tackles in the league. He, he, he did this year, but I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, there's some there's some pretty good right tackles out there now. And as a matter of fact, I think it's stupid that we sit here and talk about left and right being important, but one so much more important than the other. I mean, so many of the best pass rushers rush against the right tackle these days. I think, I think mm. we're, I think, I think we're kind of silly to still be stuck in that left tackle being that much more important. I get the blindside part, so that Disagree. does factor into it. But I mean, the better pass rushers. Go look at the pass rushers the Giants face this year. I'd say eighty percent of the time, the best pass rusher lined up against the right tackle. I understand that as talk like a one-on-one matchup, but your mistakes at right tackle get uh, totally looked over at times. Because it's right in front of the QB's face. And I'm telling you, I look at it. I mean, if you're whiffing and getting beat quickly, I mean, you're going to get your quarterback killed whether you're on the left or the right. Yeah, but very rarely are guys totally getting dominated. Like, it not might not every... directly uh, correlate to as many sacks and fumbles because it's on the front side, but it's still ruining the play. Yeah, like, but most bad tackles I mean? aren't usually as bad as Nate Solder has been the last couple of years, you know, the, his last two years as a, as a New York Giant with their 20. So I mean, their tackle play was uh, at the right side was atrocious this year. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, the whole. I mean, and then they got hurt. Um, I mean, for, Billy Price was their second best offensive lineman. It was it was brutal to watch week in week out. So, um, but like if you look at any of the rookies from the last three years, I think Thomas is the best out of them. He's better than Becton and Wills for sure. Worfs is debatable. Um, Sewell, Slater, him and him and Slater are like really close when you watch them, and then. I don't know about that. That's that's that's. I think that's silly because you're comparing Andrew Thomas in his second year when he was way better to Rashawn Slater in his first year. Like Rashawn Slater w- year one versus Andrew Thomas year one. Rashawn Slater's way better, Bobby. That's fair. That's fair. But I'm talking about them right now. Like right, like right now, as far well, as players. I mean, yes. Rashawn Slater just became. Like Rashawn Slater's progression pro. completely stops and halts. Then they're even. You know, yeah, but Slater's years, not but. as athletic. See, say, Slater doesn't have the ceiling that Thomas has. Um, that's why one, you know, one guy was drafted fourth overall. And that's you know, and that's why he's a good Thomas. player. I'm not like I, I don't want to argue about whether he's a good player. I think he's a good player. I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I see him being a great player. That's a, that's that's where I stand on him. He's pretty. He could be. He could be really good though. All right, so next year on this podcast, I'm going to have to ask you to apologize to Andrew Thomas. Um, if Andrew Thomas and he's is played like, against, he's played next to horrible, horrible left guard play. If horrible he becomes, left guard play. if he becomes an All Pro player, which you think he is, basically, that's that was that's our that's our rookie. Whether he's a good player, where I think he'll probably make a Pro Bowl, a couple of Pro Bowls here or there, and you think he's basically an All Pro player, which is you know we're splitting hairs. They're both pretty good. Okay, we'll 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 see. This is what I was talking about, Justin. He's really riding the uh, Andrew Thomas train to the fact that okay. he, thinks, he thinks he's all pro, you know, best tackle in the league kind of guy. I don't think he, I don't think it's right now. No, but I think seeing it, seeing what he can do, what he can be. You also got to think, I mean, he just got off season. He just got surgery on 
the ankle. So, you know, this is two years now where he's been playing with an ankle injury. Let's, let's get him through a year where we got no foot issues and no foot problems. And let's rock and roll in year three next to a capable guard and a system that is balanced. And even as a rookie, him and Shane Lemieux would just move guys where this year they kind of had to like give Thomas just like some one-on-ones. Like you're the only guy we could trust one-on-one blocking where he's like, you know, he's just kind of like containing the edge. Um, do we have anything? I mean, we've been going for over an hour at this point. Yeah, we. I, think, I don't even know how long we've been going because we because we do our audacity, we do our audio before you hop on, Jordan. So, I mean, I appreciate you coming on. Super Thank long. You. Yeah, nah, anytime for only for you, only for you guys. Where can people, uh, you know, find you? I know we're the number one Giants pod, so we like to give guys some <laughs> some some love. <laughs> uh, that's like a, you're like poking me here, by the way. Uh, <laughs> At Jordan Ron on at Twitter, that's R-A-A-N-A-N. Even if I spell it for people, they still put the two A's at the back instead of the front. Uh, I, I still mess hard. that up sometimes. Uh, hey, look, you're not the only one. I mean, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard. Listening comprehension is difficult. I get it, Bobby. Mm-hmm. Like, I can, you know how people call you up to like, can you spell your name? Like, you're, you know, you're, you're registering for something. I'm like, R-A-A-N-A-N. They'll like read it back, R-A-N-A-N. And it's sure. like, I literally just said it. Uh, and also, you know, Breaking Big Blue, the second best podcast out there, only because I'm on your turf. Like, when you come on my turf, I'm number one and you're number two, okay? Well, I listen, I'm not saying we're the best. I'm just saying we're ranked number one. Um, you know, so I got to I gotta flex those flex those muscles on on these cats every once in a not while. Not so humble brag right there, number two. Oh, no. I think the first listen. one was before we started, but there's number two. Number um, one was by Justin over there, who was deflated to the fact that he is uh, super skinny. Yeah, he like it was like hey, you said, "Hey, Justin," and Justin's like, "Hey, I lost some weight. What do you think?" No, I didn't um, say, "Hey, I lost some weight. What do you think?" I said, "Hey, Jordan, I lost twenty six pounds. Can weight. you compliment me?" That's that's what I said. Um, I mean, that's like taking fishing to comp for compliments, like to <laughs> next level. By the way, <laughs> uh, yeah, ne- Justin's no shame in and Justin's game. There was one other thing I wanted to say. You are looking good, though. I mean, thank you. You thank you, you. you actually you look natural as an umpire. You know you what's really funny. Do. You look very natural as an umpire. Do you know that I'm doing that currently right now? I mean, I saw a video of you umpiring. Okay, okay. Like, are you trying to be like a professional umpire? I don't know. Whatever opportunity knocks. When opportunity knocks at the door. It's a great job, man. If you ever thought, I mean, if you can handle people just yelling at you all the time, they make a good living. Umpires, officials, you know, referees in the NFL. Like, it's good. I'm surprised there hasn't been a ref or ump who just has like punched somebody. Um, like just has, lost it. hasn't had that patience tested but i will say we're the number one pod you have All right. i think you in giants land you have like the most followers on twitter so you can this is true you still have that over like i think nyg daily might be second so you're still you're still you're still in the lead there so all right espn jordan renan we appreciate you coming on anytime fellas hey sure you better hope i never get back in there. i will kick your All right, thanks to Jordan Non for coming on. Make sure to go uh, tell him you enjoyed his time on the show, if he did. And honestly, I didn't get at it in the interview, but if he wants to win the Tony Award, he just needs to have us on the podcast. It's really as simple as that. Like it's, it's as simple as just having us on the podcast. That's the best way, is to give us, give us shine and give us love. So we appreciate you guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Don't know exactly what we have, have coming Friday, but we'll have something good. Until then, let's go Big Blue.